Are you working on the thumbnails for your next comic and discovered that you've sketched dozens of pages of talking heads? You know, we cartoonists can literally put the reader's eye wherever we can imagine, so why don't we? But the problem is, how do you even know where to put the reader's eye? There's got to be a purpose for it, right? So in today's Lean Into Art mini workshop, Rob and I are going to help you find more visual interest on your pages and make more compelling comics, and we're going to get started right now. This is our new art cast mini workshop episode, and here we'll explore. Uh, we always explore uh, some kind of art task and then turn it into a process that that you can follow along, and we'll demonstrate how we think about it and work on it. I'm Jersey Droz, cartoonist and teaching artist. I'm Rob Stenzinger, UX designer, interactive maker, and teaching artist. Now, in the structure of these mini workshop episodes, we talk about why this matters. We do a live demonstration, you know, show how, and we will always do our best to give you an example to try so that when you're feeling the excitement of interacting with this really cool idea, you can try it for yourself at home and, you know, also celebrate what we love about this, what we learn, and maybe even wonder about like, you know, extensions, that's what they call it in teaching, like extensions and modifications. What other use cases are there? What ways would this activity or skill meet the ground given some other contexts. So, you know. Yeah, well, who does need this, like, viewing angle stuff? Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, I would say any cartoonist who makes comics, because, like, the, the thing that I see in my classroom all the time is the blank page presents you with a thousand choices. This is going to be a big panel, so this is going to be a small panel. Am I going to be close to the character? Am I going to be far away from the character? How can I get this character to say, let's go over there, as only that character can say that? Is it night or is it day? How many characters are going to be in this scene? You can break your brain taking on all of these choices at the same time. And so we here at Lena Tuart celebrate chunking the process and sort of drawing circles around realms of concern. Let's think about what we're actually trying to accomplish here, and let's let's bucket everything into these realms of concern so we can think about them thoroughly and thoughtfully, right? Um, so, okay, fair enough. That that sounds like it'll be fun and useful. Uh, will there be any kind of barriers that we need to work with or work around? Yeah, that's fair. Some of the things that we're going to be discussing today will ask for a somewhat developed skill of illustration. But I would maintain that these are learnable skills. And I think trying them is a way to learn the skills. So even if it's something where it's like, well, I tried to draw it the way Jersey was describing and it didn't turn out very well. Yeah, that's what you call leveling up. The first tries are usually going to be pretty rough. So I think it's a barrier, but I don't think it's an unconquerable barrier. I think this is something where if you enjoy drawing, this is something you can get better at. So, um, and then we'll, and we'll get see how you tackle this along the way with the demonstration too, right? Um, well, all right, fine. I will get a blank sheet of paper. <laughs> and we will turn on my overhead cam so that we can, uh, we can do this together. So, uh, but we'll do that in a second because first we got to okay. talk about the ideas. But um, how about right. we take, take a break and then we will come back and talk about this, this, this viewing angle business. What do you say? Sounds awesome. Can't wait. All right. So if 
the this project that we do is helping you think and do uh, create the creative work that you enjoy doing. A great way that you can help make it more sustainable and support what we're doing here is to join us over on our Patreon. Um, yes, patreon.com slash leanintoart is the website. And I want to thank five people who have been supporting us on an ongoing basis. Uh, Tabitha Orr, thank you, Tabitha. And Sarah Lutfi, thank you, Sarah, for being part of this project. Sophie Lawson, thank you so much, Sophie. Gail Bushman, thank you, Gail. And Dave Sri Say, thank you, Dave. You can join them all at patreon.com slash art, where you will find all the shows we make, as well as the extra leans, the shows we record only for people who support us on Patreon. You'll also be able to join us in the, the Lena to Art monthly labs. Do you need a place to show your work in progress? We can all use encouragement and feedback, right? Have you found the general creative project pressure of a due date or a demo day useful? The Lena to Art monthly 90-minute lab session is a place where we host a creative group of professionals developing their projects. The constraints give it meaning. It's a chance for you to show up and share what you're working on, what might be blocking you, and we'll be there to encourage you and find new possibilities. Also, it's a place to work in the presence of others, whether you choose to share or hang back. Each session held on the third Wednesday of every month is facilitated by one of the two hosts of Lean Into Art. Both Rob and I have decades of experience in teaching and facilitation of creative groups and processes for all kinds of projects. So join us at patreon.com slash lean into art whether you support us on a you know for a little as a dollar a month or join the ten dollar monthly lab introductory price by the way introductory price so reserve your spot now oh thanks everybody who supports us there it means a lot it really does thank you okay <laughs> gotta wait for this there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, that makes me so happy. That is, it's in the theme song, everybody. It tells you, you teach me and I'll teach you. Okay, so let's talk about viewing angle. Um, so let me go to my slide deck that I can pull up. Hmm. Uh, starting out, it's probably a good idea to have some some words or ideas about what you're going to draw handy, right? Um, when you start playing with viewing angle, having a direction to go is helpful. So I can show you what my script looks like. So let me uh, open up my overhead camera. And Rob, are you getting yours? Um, I'm actually, yes, I was working on being able to uh, sort of participate. I can scribble on my own screen. So. Oh, cool. Cool. Okay. So I can just get this to refresh. There we go. And then I can open up my, my overhead camera. Um, because, you know, it's like playing with viewing angle, like drawing things from different angles is, that's a, that's a good skill to have and it's useful to have. But I think having something that you're trying to write um, visually, because this is like, I, I teach this in a workshop series called Write With Images. And you know, it's like, I'm going to make a case that what we're going to play with here is actually like making writing choices with art. So let's see if I can get my overhead camera going. So this is something I show my students all the time. This is what my process really breaks down into when I'm making the Captain Seriously comic books that I've talked about many times on the Lean to Art cast. Um, it starts with a bunch of just like a stream of consciousness document 
of things that can happen in the book. And it goes through a couple different drafts. I maybe do like two different drafts, three different drafts. And then I break it down into these paragraphs that I will sort of say like, okay, that I think is going to be page one and two, page three, four and five, et cetera. And then, and we've talked about this in the podcast as well, is that I go to sticky note thumbnails. And when I'm doing my sticky note thumbnails, I'm not worried about drawing it well. I'm not worried about the dialogue. All I'm thinking about is moment choice, viewing angle, looking up and looking down. So having a few words written out about what you want to draw in the comic is probably a good place to start. But, you know, we're also going to provide you with a, a, an example to try. So you don't have to have it in order to play. But uh, and what I like to do at the start is I'll take this, this uh, script and as I'm reading it, I will literally close my eyes and visualize. I'll sit there and go like, are any parts of this immediately coming to mind of what it looks like? It's not, it, I would say, generally speaking, it's infrequent that I get like a really super crystallized image. It, it's so infrequent that when it happens, it feels, I get the same kind of like thrill of like a slot machine pull, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, I, I won, you know? Um, so a lot of times it takes grinding and work and heuristic, like trying lots of back and forth. That's another reason I use sticky notes is because it doesn't really afford me the time or the space to do um, really sharp, fancy drawings that are going to cost me a lot of time. So with that in mind, let's get into the, like, the middle steps process of this where we're going to like, consider a lot of different examples. So, so now let's go to and talk about like, what I mean by viewing angle. And specifically, I talk about like moment choice. And this is something that I think if you think of like the comic strip, a lot of people, or when you say the word comics to like most people who don't practice it, they think of the comic strip. And the thing about the comic strip is, is it's a very narrowly confined piece of narrative. It's three to four panels, typically speaking. I know there's other examples, but I'm going to a couple of really famous ones, Snoopy or Peanuts and Garfield. And if you look at the viewing angles and the moment choices that the cartoonists make, there's not a lot of dynamic change between them, right? Like in Snoopy, or we see they're kind of far away, kind of close up, closer up, and a little bit farther away at the end, right? And then you look at Garfield, not much changes at all. Like Garfield's position changes, but if you look, I think his eyes are almost in the exact the same spot in panel three as panel two. And like you look at panels one and two with John, it's like he changes so little, it might as well be the same drawing, even though it's different drawings, right? But when you start doing something that's a little bit longer form, you suddenly have a lot more options. Because like, if you suddenly change scenes between panels one and two entirely, like, and this is like the, the Spider-Man comic strip did this in the newspapers, like if you had like three scene changes in three panels, it's gonna be a little bit harder to connect them all together. And it's not going to feel like a complete arc of some little chunk of narrative. But when you have more space, and this is from Seth's It's a Good Life If You Don't Weaken, Suddenly, you can just stop people talking and walk around Toronto, right? And you look at the park, and you see a conservatory or something in the background. Look down, see some pigeons. Look up at that building with the glowing thing at the top of the tower. In this other sequence, he actually takes the time to go from night to day and show us the residential district, the industrial district, and then getting into some like more you know like Union Station at the end, right? And I think about this as like how in Miyazaki films, um, like Totoro, right? Like he'll just take a minute to just show you a babbling brook. And there's no talking, right? Uh, like, why take all that time to focus on that stuff, right? But you can, and why would you make those choices? But then there's, like, people who I would call iconoclastic to this idea, like Keith Giffen, who a lot of his comics, he doesn't 
give you that sense of place and the sense of establishing a location. He really sort of asks you to meet him halfway and he'll give you the, the, the visual information, but you got to piece it together. You have to infer it. Right. And so you look at the background, you, you look at the, the, the men in suits, you see he's opening up a liquor cabinet, pouring a drink for his friend. Okay, wait, there's a giant weapons grade telephone in the, in the foreground of the last panel. Okay. It's clearly, this is in the 1960s and it's in some kind of office or den, right? We put together a picture based on little hints that he threw us. He doesn't explicitly show us those things. But also notice he's getting close and far away from the characters. And those are deliberate choices as well, right? So what kind of things can you show in, like, with moment choice? You can show the passage of time, right? So you look at this, this sequence, which is from Nicobadzis's Laika, which, have you read Laika, Rob? I have not. Hmm. Is I've that the, the space dog? Yes, it is the story of the first Earth creature to go uh, up into space, which was a little Russian dog. It's a beautiful book. It is expertly done, but I will warn you, it's not for the faint of heart because the Soviets did not have any plans to bring Laika home. And Nikobadzis does a beautiful ending to the book, but it's tough to read. So, But here we have... The trainer, Laika's trainer, sort of sardonically toasting the Russian space program, and then we go outside and we see this, the installation, and what is happening in those last five panels, Rob? It's the, the sun is coming up, right? right. Yeah. There's, yeah. Yeah, like you look at those panels, you see the stars, and, you, and then it gets lighter and lighter, and the sun comes up. But how does it change the way it feels to you based on the size he uses as the panels can progress through. As we go from like the last five panels from the, from the far left to the right, he starts messing with the size of the panels. How does that, what, what words come to mind as you look at that, as you think about like, what is the meaning of showing it in that way? Well, it's, it's definitely a passage of time. But then it goes from a, a, like a, a larger rectangle to, to, well, to smaller and smaller, even though, um, you know, like the sun could be getting my attention, but it's, it's like the smallness means my attention seems to be fading, even though time is, is, is continuing. Right. So yeah. I don't know if, if I, as a viewer am seeing someone fall asleep, um, become melancholy or something about removing and, and uh, yeah, yeah. It's the conclusion of a scene, right? He's ending the scene and he's suggesting a conclusion just by changing the size and by focusing on those clouds, no words. Let's just watch the sun slowly come up as we consider this, this, you know, um, somewhat aggrieved and sarcastic toast to man's ambitions, as she says in the panel, right? So you can show the passage of time, not just to say later that day, but also to show how the passage, how time feels different based on how you feel. Time flies when you're having fun. Time drags when you're, when you're miserable, right? Mm -hmm. And he takes the time to do that with those five panels right there. And they're not terribly complex drawn panels, but we, we get the feeling, like you said, melancholy even. I love that, right? So... You can also show tension in the moments choices that you make. This is from a comic that I did, but you can find at uh, books.jdros.com called The Replacements. And just for the context of the scene, this robot and this girl are trapped in a museum that is overwhelmed with monsters. And a conflict is going to come. We know the monsters are going to attack. But 
Sarah Turner and I took the time to say, okay, let's look around and see the monsters poised to attack so that we can start to imagine what's going to happen. So this is like out of like, Move, like scary movies, right? When you watch a scary movie and like somebody's in a house alone, it's dark and you hear a noise in the other room, right? And the character always gets up and they slowly walk toward that door, right? And it's like, I don't know about you, Rob, but when there's a noise in my house, usually I'm up and I'm investigating right away. Like I got to find out what that was and I better do it quick because if there's something in here that I don't want in here, it needs to be taken care of, you know, too sweet. Um, but <laughs> Why would they do that in a scary movie? Why do they make them creep toward the door? Because they want to give you time to imagine all the terrible things that are in your head, right? So by showing these little slivers of monsters around the room, I'm giving you, the reader, time to imagine how this is going to go down. Even though we're not thinking that through when we're reading it, it's happening in our brains, right? And then when the last panel, we see the robot looking over his shoulder, okay, the fight's on the next page, right? And, and indeed it is. Um, you can also change your viewing angle just for the sake of keeping things interesting. This was a scene where I was faced with the prospect of drawing a bunch of talking heads. It was a student and a professor arguing with one another. And so I said, okay, well, what else can I show? What else is in this room that's worth looking at as I watch these two characters intellectually spar? So I thought, okay, well, what if I look up at him? What if I look down at him? What if I show some of the students just like listening to the conversation and hear how they're reacting? We see some people are annoyed by it. Some people are asleep. Some people are just patiently waiting and chewing their nails, right? So sometimes you can just put the viewer's eye in all sorts of different places in the room just so that it doesn't drag on and be more of the same thing, right? But then going back to Toronto, that, that example I used from Seth's Good Life If You Don't Weaken, um, here is Osama Tetsuka, one of the great masters of the medium. And, you know, it's like he starts off with the gallop galloping hooves. Then we see the horse and the rider. Where are they? We don't know because the background's blurred away because he's riding so fast. And then boom, big panel where why would he take the time to draw all, well, his assistants probably did, take the time to draw all of that foliage and trees and you know and background and, and reduce the main character to a silhouette right mm. suddenly we have a sense of place now we know where we are we we've got our character that we're following and now let's give them a sense of where the character is okay and this one is one of my favorites because this is not, not only because it's one of my books but because it's a it's an example of how sequence matters too it's not just what you show and what you don't show but also the order in which you show it so this is from the third act of The Replacements where um, the military's coming to stop the main villain in this mountain lair there, because they're always in a mountain lair after all. And so we start with the mountain lair, and then in panel two we see the vehicles, um, these military vehicles that are clearly not in a parked formation. They're in some kind of formation that suggests driving and their headlights are on. And here's where I played a trick, because comics don't move. So we assume when we look at that panel, they're driving. And we get a little closer, we see the wheels, and the wheels don't look like they're moving, but, you know, we see the headlights on. Of course, they're still moving. And then we see inside the vehicles, oh, they're not moving at all. They're all hypnotized. They're all, like, like brainwashed in some way. So what we think is a triumphant march on the villain's headquarters suddenly changes tone entirely. And the last panel is the shadow of this monster from the villain's lair flying over top of the inert soldiers, right? Hmm. So if I started this page on, with panel one, two, three, four with the soldiers hypnotized, the, t the scene would have a completely different tone, right? Mm, so totally it's, and it's, yeah, it's really interesting too. the, the, the different, uh, you know, the heights, the angles, 
and and the order because as soon as you said order and i as you know watching you present this it's like i i started changing the order in my head like which what would what would it feel like so. mm-hmm. yeah yeah the order in which you display the information contributes to and um supports or works against the reader's understanding so that's that's something worth thinking about when you're designing your pages and then this is i'll just breeze through this really fast because i don't want to belabor this but to just demonstrate this principle really um simply is what happens when you look up and when you look down and when you're close and when you're far away so this is again from that comic the replacements and the scene that we're looking at is a um, an old man who was like, so he's sort of like an Adam West kind of character. He played a superhero on television a long time ago. And there's people at some kind of like trade show or convention getting their picture taken with him and waiting in line to get autographs from him. And he hands it up, you know, he says, who's next? He looks up and he sees this dude in the giant, the, the, the Boktok t-shirt looking at him. And he says, hi, we've got something for me to sign. And then the big guy starts like leveraging a bunch of complaints at him. You're a big fat phony. Page two, he leans in. He's like, really angry see the old man's leaning back because now he's in his space then we look at the the young man's eyes up close see the old young man leaning in more on the table as the old man's looking confused young man walks away old man's left by himself right we don't we're not going to consider every one of these panels but what i'm going to ask you is some specific panels rob and how they feel so when we look at the panel where the guy in the boktok shirt is looking at you how does that moment like what feelings words immediately come to mind when you look at that panel well, uh, let's see the, it's, 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 it's imposing and it's kind of, um, it's a per, like personal space. It's, it's like this, this is a, um, a person who maybe, uh, I mean, they're just physically, you know, in your face and it's like what, you know, that, that could be disruptive. That could be, um, concerning, right? Also, he's not talking. That helps because now he's more mysterious and implacable because we have no words yet. Oh, it is. It is. It's a quiet moment too. So I that yeah, that does add to the whole um, imposingness of it. It's like just this person is very much looking down on you, and it doesn't have to be. I mean, it's just like a relativeness in like where you are versus this person. If you were laying on a beach, this person doesn't have to be particularly tall. There's just like exactly. oh my, exactly. Exactly. We have no idea what the height comparison is between these characters, right? This is where this is very subjective. What do we see behind the dude, right? For those who are listening in audio. Um, oh, well, you see the, the lighting. Or in yeah, the lighting it's, it's unambiguously, we're time. looking up, right? And this comes from our experience as, you know, evolved primates. Oh, come now. Come on, webcam. There we go, connected. You look down at a character... And they seem less imposing. You look up at a character. Right? Yeah. They look more they look more imposing. It changes the way it feels, even when you're working with like stick and bubble figures like this, right? So mm -hmm. looking by by me changing the shot to looking up at the dude, I've instantly created a power dynamic without saying a darn word, right? He feels imposing and weird and sort of mysterious. And now let's look at the panel on page two where we're just seeing his eyes, right? Mm -hmm. And he says the line, you were everything to me, Chase. I spent my whole life looking up to you. 
how does it feel when we get that close to the character? And again, he's looking right at us, the reader, right? Like any feelings, words immediately come to mind? Uh, it's, I think, two things, intense and intimate. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he's in your space now, right? And Very much. Like you don't get to be that close to someone's eyes and not be knowing you're near each other. Like you are very conscious of the proximity. Like that that's very close. Very close. Right. And and there's a couple of reasons that we did this. Is that one is yeah, we want to make you feel what the old man is feeling as he's getting these threats or not threats, accusations leveled at him, right? But two mm-hmm. is the the dialogue here, you were everything to me. I spent my whole life looking up to you. This anger comes from hurt. And if you cover up the eyebrows on the screen, if you look at his eyes, the way his lower lids are pinched up, we were, in, we were specifically trying to go for, he's about to start crying. This is, this is an aggrieved anger. This isn't anger where he's outraged at somebody. He's, he's hurt by this. And that's why I would throw away the treasure of visual information on the human face, because until we can get up close to see those lids curling up, we won't really get that information, right? So that's a writing choice. We have to see that he's hurt. And the dialogue suggests it. You are everything to me, but let's really send it home by curling up those eyebrows or those eyelids and putting him right in your face. So you're now suddenly feeling the anguish of this character, right? And the discomfort of somebody being in your personal space, right? Finally, I want to talk about that last panel where the young man walks away and we see the old man by himself. So I'm wondering if, it, if you could put some feelings, words to that, Rob. Oh, I mean, it feels very lonely, abandoned, uh, isolated. Mm. Um, because you have essentially the, you know, the, the act, the, the, the elder actor sitting at the table still, but, um, so far away, kind of removed and with, uh, with no words and just sort of, uh, almost like darkness raining down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of- a lot of space is the darkness, right? So this is a person alone in space of darkness raining down. And uh, that just that feels super lonely. And this is one of the cool things about comics that gets me really excited. If my camera can reload, thank you. Um, lines describe the visible and the invisible at the same time time so if i like in lines are like visual poetry in that way so like if i say like oh this this is a pencil everybody watching says yeah doy jersey it's a pencil we know that's the thing that we use it's a fact and i say okay but this is the sword with which i will conquer visual storytelling and then you say okay fancy pants why are you coming at me with all this flowery language we know what it is right and that's what lines do in comics like if i draw a fact named charlie brown we say Yes, we know this character. We've read Peanuts comics. You're drawing a character who exists in our minds. And then I do this. Right? Hmm. And so suddenly, you add the, uh, that scribble above where it's like, it's, it's like a, it's a small tornado of scribble. Right. This, yeah. And what's weird is like universally we know what that means, Right. It's, it's, it's a piece of visual language that we all internally recognize and comprehend without necessarily finding any language for it. But then when I say to my students, like, if a black cloud came out of your head every time you were frustrated, your friends would freak out, right? This is describing something in here, right? 
but it's just as real as what I've drawn there because he is all lines too. He is not real, but he's equally real to that, even though we're describing the invisible and the visible at the same time. That's something that gets me really excited. So when we go back to the page, and like you said, like that blackness, did somebody just turn off the lights in the room? Maybe. Or is his feeling so big that it's filling up the whole world behind him, right? Like in shoujo manga. So mm. that's one of the moment choice things that's available to you too, even beyond viewing angle. But looking up and looking down, looking close and far away, those are big choices to make. And then we can finally conclude, I mean, we can take a break before we do like a demo, is the viewing angle in terms of looking up and down at a scene, not just necessarily a subject, right? So here we have two panels from my graphic novel I did, you know, like almost a decade ago, the front rebirth. And it's the same scene. The, the characters moved around a little bit between one and two, but I bet they feel different in terms of where I put your eye. Any observations on like what feels different about those two moments, Rob? Well, I mean, one seems like, I mean, I'm up above the classroom as a viewer, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not, I'm witnessing a scene, but not in this and not in it and a part of it. And then the second view is, um, feeling like a peer in that classroom. Like I, I may be at a desk adjacent to these, these, uh, kids having a conversation. Right. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can think of this as the one in the upper left is an objective point of view. It's stating facts. This is the classroom. There's this many kids in it, right? And panel two is a subjective point of view. You're in it. That's how this moment feels. The first one's about facts. The second one's about feelings, right? So mm. it's, it's, it's a very simple sort of like, I would, I would say it, it's, it's almost reductive when I describe it this way. But that is, if you're having trouble trying to decide on where to put the reader's eye, ask yourself in that moment, is this more about feeling like putting the reader in the scene? Or is this moment about delivering factual information that will help them understand the scene going forward, right? Those both have extraordinary value in your visual storytelling, but they have, but the, the value they offer has different functions. So, uh, and on, and if you tie that back to the strips or uh, you, you shared early on and that you don't have to bring them up in the, on the screen again, but like the, like peanuts and Garfield, um, like clearly there's, there's a, uh, there, the choice was made for the most part in planning the, the, the strip. And it, it was, it was, um, the, the, the variance in that choice is fairly locked in. Whereas right. like you're showing things that can, that can enjoy higher contrast of difference in moments. Um, it's a great way of putting it pretty powerful. So how about, do you want to take a break? and then come back and do the demo? Or do you want to do the demo before the break? We can make that decision right here and now. I think a break makes a lot of sense. Okay. Good, good. yeah. Okay, so uh, in, I will get our break stuff ready. And so if this, if, if what we're sharing today is helping you think and do useful creative work, a great way you can support us to help make this show more sustainable is to, interact with the products that we make. We work really hard on stuff outside of this project and bring all that thinking into the project. And the thing I hope you will interact with is Baron Von Baer and the Case of the Two-Faced Statue, a middle-grade graphic novel coming in 2023 from Iron Circus Comics by me, Jersey Drozd. Baron Von Baer, expert in the occult, never once wanted it to be an adventurer. I need to get somebody to do like a really cool voiceover for this. Like anybody who's got like a really cool gravelly voice. 
But when years of hard work are demolished along with an ancient stone guardian that rendered harmless his collection of dangerous ma magical objects, he will have Just to enter the first crow. What? Tax crow. Tax crow. <laughs> oh, tax crow from Galaxy Super Adventure. All right. He will have ah, he will have to enter the fray at last, and he will learn to his dismay that those objects were not at all what he believed. Go to BaronVonBear.com to join my Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, or subscribe to my mailing list for free to get some exclusive looks at the process of making my next middle grade graphic novel. Ah, caw caw. Rob? <laughs> that, that is it! <laughs> ah, well, I don't have something so well, you know, presented in the, in the voice, but I'm going to show you this this game I made, um, Guitar Fretter. I'm working my heart out on this. It is my is my main, um, you know, project of the moment. Where uh, it's, and I would love for you to get your copy today. It, it's two bucks. Go to guitarfretter.com. Why would you do that? Well, it's it makes a it, it makes a playful experience out of learning the note positions on a guitar fretboard for four string bass, five string bass, six string, and seven string guitar. All of them are included for just two bucks. So um, it's it's like a bit of a puzzle game, a bit of action. These little creatures show up with notes on their bellies, and you match that on on the fretboard. And what happens is, well, there's some clever stuff that hides those notes, and now you you need to use your recollection to keep going otherwise you know what it'll be game over so go to guitarfretter.com and um it, this is fun for folks i mean if even if you don't play guitar it's a fun matching puzzle game but um if i've heard from guitar teachers over the years that that enjoy this and even use it in their class so oh. um yeah multiple times emails from guitar teachers that uh, reach out to me about guitar fretter. So it's, um, and yeah, you can get your copy today. Guitarfretter.com will bring you to this page that has links to, well, buy it right here for windows and Mac, or you can um, use the also available links to get it uh, for iOS and Android. Guitarfretter.com. Sweet. Guitarfretter.com. Mm-hmm. All right. So I said we were going to give you a demo to try because like that's all well and good. It makes sense looking up, looking down, close, far away, right? But how do I put this into practice? Well, if you don't have something handily, readily written, we can go to a workshop that I have been teaching for literally a decade. Um, it, I've, I've road tested this. I have used it in a lot of classroom. I've taught this to hundreds of kids and it's a little workshop I call Sequences and Consequences. And what you need to do it is you could just use a sheet of paper, but it works best if you have some lo loose leaf paper, like if you view like nine sheets of paper or even better yet, nine index cards, because um, index cards aren't big enough to draw awesome on. And this is not about drawing awesome. This is just the thinking about how close, far away, looking up and looking down are writing choices. Okay, so what I'm gonna do next is I'm recording this into the podcast so you could rewind and do it again if you, if you can't keep up. It's okay. That's where the, the back 30 button is. I'm going to read you a story in nine parts. And what I'd like you to do is if you can, close your eyes and try to visualize what it looks like as I read each of these lines. Okay? It's nine sentences that add up to a short narrative. I'm going to read each of them one at a time. And then uh, when we come back, we'll do some drawing of that. We'll do a quick little example of what that looks like. So here we go. Deep breath in through the nose, out through the mouth, close your eyes, and listen. A man walks down an alley. He checks his phone. 
He reads something on his phone that disturbs him. Something is behind him. He starts to run. Objects around him make it difficult to run. Another person looks on at the scene. The man looks for a place to hide. The pursuer gets closer. So there's the whole script on the screen. And I'll leave it up just for a second so you can still it if you need to. And then I'm going to switch back to me and Rob um, because... Oh, Rob's already ready to draw. Cool. So how about do this and I can add my overhead camera and we can do this together. Yeah. And I can move where I'm drawing. Or oh, wherever. there you go. Yeah. We'll do it like that. There we go. I'll cover up your coffee mug. So I wonder like what did just pick one. You don't have to do them in order, Rob, but if you want to just pick one and say like, this is one that easily came to mind. That's what I actually recommend to my students is pick one that like when I read the sentence, you heard it automatically or you saw it automatically in your head, right? A man walks down an alley, he checks his phone, um, something on his phone disturbs him. I can actually pull that up on the screen too. Let me add a browser source real quick. Um, All right. Um, or at rather go. Here we are. So, so we're trying to think of what like which one of those prompts or, or moments came to mind very naturally. Mm -hmm. Okay. Were there, were there any, I mean, it's okay if there wasn't Uh multiple did. And I don't know if it's because I have played along with this before, but, um, I just started, uh, uh, like it, this is a very, it's honestly the, what you describe, feels potent it's tense right because you have someone that ends up running and being pursued right so yep. um and i i ended up playing with it where in the end um you know i'm thinking like this this uh this person is is running from uh from something but i i wanted to uh maybe change it up right where it's like it's uh oh let's see what would be a, a a mascot that a mascot um, like a sports mascot sports mascot yeah so like gritty <laughs> yeah so it's a little bit like like uh like gritty but like cthulhu gritty or something i don't know um anyway so that's what's coming to mind. Cthulhu gritty, where there's a person who's who's running, maybe their hat's flown off. And this is later in the scene, right? Because the earlier ones come to mind pretty naturally too. Like someone someone checking their their phone. I mean, I've drawn drawn that a lot just because of like just doing app design, right? Oh where, yeah. Like people check their phones all the time in in like you know the the user journey, right? So Anyway, yeah. So, yeah. So here I've already done, I've done three iterations of the, of the first one. A man walks down an alley. We could be looking at it down and to see the man and his spatial relationship to the alley. Or we could be looking over the man's shoulder, looking down the alley. Or we could be looking up at the man and see the, the night sky behind him, right? Um, uh -huh. 
looking down, looking up, close, far away, right there. In all of these feel very different. Um, let's go to, he checks his phone, right? And this is, the, the reason I chose that is because, man, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Here's, man checks his phone, right, in the alleyway. And here is, a man checks his phone. Right? You can have it like that. Or, oh, yeah, very up close. Yeah. Or a man checks his phone, right? And this might be what you were talking about. Where, like, yeah, it's like a, a phone in, in the hand kind of thing. Um, so you could, you could literally just show the phone in a hand. Right. And each of those choices creates a different narrative feel. This is why we get close and far away to things is not just for visual interest, although that matters, but also to give us a sense of like, what is worth focusing on? Do we want to keep the information mysterious and just show that he's looking at the phone and then in the next panel, when he reads something that disturbs him, we see it. Or do we want to just see his, he'd pick up the phone and sliding, you know, swipe to open or whatever. And then in the next panel, we see him being disturbed. Right? Like that. Oh, yeah. So it depends on what you want to, like, what is the moment about? Right? Is it a moment of him opening the phone? We want it to feel absolutely calm and balanced. Okay, well, let's do it like shot on the horizontal, and we're about mid distance from him, like a casual standing distance from the character. So it feels very balanced. And what happens if I suddenly decide to show him checking his phone and I change the angle? Literally not like just changing the horizon lines so that it's going diagonally through the frame, right? Or panel. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a kind of, I mean, doesn't it sort of give you a feeling of almost like being on a boat and things are wobbly or like right. something's unstable or stuff's in motion when the horizon is so tilted, right? Right. So that's that's the demo, like your choices, right? I think I think that, that is like, Watching what Rob and I are doing as we're going through this ourselves is giving you a sense of what some of the options are. But I really encourage you, if you decide to play with this, find your own answer to that question of when something is behind him. I said something. I, I didn't say what it was, right? Like mm -hmm. Rob decided that it was going to be like Cthulhu Gritty, right? Well, it could be another person. Um, and then the twist at the end, if you really want to play, like if you're doing it with index cards like Rob is, is that I have my students lay them all out on the table in order and then I say, can you rearrange them to find an equally plausible um, narrative? And how does it change the story when you do that? So that is such an awesome exercise. <laughs> and it's, it's worth it. Like every bit of this, um, this, this practice is, um, I mean, it's just so, it's fascinating to see how stuff flows differently. Like when you were your example from earlier with the, with the military vehicles and the mountain and all that stuff and mm -hmm. expectations. Um, I mean, inherently like we consume something in an order that lets you expect what might be next and, and uh, being able to, to wrote, you know, switch panels around and all that stuff is, uh, um, it's, it's pretty neat. Like, mm. so are you, are you saying that, um, so this sounds like a powerful exercise to figure out, you know, 
the you know the power like the feeling moments in new ways if you switch them around but like um is it would that be uh, would that also be like a writing thing too like, yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. I think so as well because like that's one of the reasons that I do my thumbnails on sticky notes because I might like moving a whole scene to another part of the book might change the way it feels, right? If we learn this about the characters before we learn that about the characters, how does that change the way the story feels? And what, when I do this with my students, when they rearrange the, the cards, they often discover through this very simple example that a tense story, as you described at the beginning, can turn into a funny story. This story, or, or characters could even switch because I encourage them to draw stick figures and keep it very, very simple. It's like the onlooker suddenly becomes the main character uh, in, in rearranging it. So, yeah, I, this is something where uh, I, I feel like it's, it's a nice, um, discreet, and contained way to level up your understanding of how viewing angle contributes to meaning. And it's 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 inexpensive in terms of time. You can do this in like twenty minutes. I would say even faster if you're working really loose, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sticking with um, you know emphasizing the moment as opposed to the rendering of of, of details. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's huh, that's interesting. I think um, it is really playful. And then like it's almost like you get to have more dialogue with those moments. That's that's so fascinating. Because um, mm. yeah, and, and and like you could do this exercise, um, like honestly for ten years, right? <laughs> and it's still, it's, yeah. it, it seems like it still yields, um, this the 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 leveling up of the moment choice and practice of it, right? Yeah, I I have been doing this so long now that I realized the original script was he checks his watch, <laughs> not <Yeah>. his phone. <laughs> ah, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, I feel like I think that 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 summarizes the demo. So um, you want to get to review, Rob? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Oh, I should probably turn off those. Yeah, let's go to this. There we go. Okay. So um, now that you got your prompt to try, you can rewind and listen to the script. Close your eyes. Do your best to visualize it. What you need to do it to participate is at least something to draw with. So it could be on a computer too, if you have a, like a stylus and a tablet, whatever you can make marks on. Um, but what's nice to have is, like I said, something more modular like index cards or sticky notes. The reason being that they're small, it's difficult to draw well on those that canvas. Um, I'm encouraging you to not think about drawing well, but just think about like just trying to capture the moment in like a couple minutes or less. Um, and what do you gain by doing this, right? Well, I, I, I'm, I've, I think I've made a case for how it will improve your comics pages in, in terms of visual interest. But are there any other applications beyond this, like that, like that you could think of in terms of like how you would benefit as a game designer or a facilitator or an instructor, having an understanding of how to do this, Rob? Well, I mean, it's certainly a practice in uh, the flow of narrative, and. I think that's that's quite universal. If you're, I mean, I can't think of professions offhand, and I am super biased, but like communication is a very important thing related to, I mean, anything from 
from leadership to project management to well teaching instructing or um or or making a pitch to get funding and what have you so like we all have to create narratives to help and um get other people involved in our ideas and now you're this this is a way to to i don't know it's a safe fun place to practice um leveling up with structuring a narrative um and and play with the sequence to find a way you know to 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 get the point across and not just say, well, I checked the list of stuff I wanted to say. You wanted to, you right. wanted to land. This lets you practice. Like how could it make an impact? Yeah, for, for sure. And then to review everybody, things to remember. Um, remember that some of the things that can be communicated through moment choice and viewing angle, such as looking up at a subject makes it more powerful. Looking down at a subject makes it less powerful. Far away feels more objective, more detached, removed, and close up feels more subjective, like you're, you're, you're in their intimate space or they're in your intimate space, right? And don't forget that the order contributes to the meaning of the story. So if you play with viewing angle, play with rearranging the order of things, you will in, undoubtedly get more interesting looking comics pages. And that was the the, the, the the explicit sell on this one for me. It was like trying to create more visual interest in comics pages. So, hmm. ah, thanks, Rob. Uh, Thank you, Jersey. What a great mini workshop. And uh, I don't know, felt like a like a like a whole workshop and then some. So, <laughs> it's good for everyone to play along. Yeah, yeah. And if if you uh, wind up playing along, and you can you can share your experiences and results in the. Lean into our Discord at leanintoart.com slash Discord. You can share it in the uh, castle level up. Um, or no, challenges, quests. That's where you'd put it. Challenges, quests. So, mm -hmm. yeah, patrons can share in other other channels as well. Yeah. But uh, we have public channels. So, yeah, you could just join our Discord at leanintoart.com slash Discord. All right. Well, Thanks, thanks again, Rob, and thanks to everybody for downloading and listening and watching. Until next time, I have been uh, Jersey Drozd at leanatort.com and rss.jdrozd.com. And I'm Rob Stenzinger, also doing work at leanatort.com. And you can find out more stuff that I do at interactive-storyteller.com. Okay, bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at leanintoart.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the user leanintoart, and you can reach us via email at leanintoart at gmail.com. And remember, leaners aren't wieners. Thanks for listening.